Welcome in the Magic Weekly Podcast, Monday, March 9th. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. The Magic, a two and two week last week, losses to Portland and Miami, then out on the road, got wins over the weekend to the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Houston Rockets. We'll see Memphis tomorrow night to wrap up that road trip, then home for two this week, the Chicago Bulls and the Charlotte Hornets. My guest for the program this week is Sopandeb. You can follow him on Twitter. It's at uh, Sopandeb, S-O-P-A-N-D-E-B. He writes for the New York Times, basketball writer and contributor to the culture section, and there's so much going on in New York uh, over the past couple days, past couple weeks, I guess, always, really. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to, to chat with Sopan. Hey, man, uh, I appreciate you taking a couple minutes. How you doing? Not at all. Thanks for having I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, the first thing I wanted to ask you is about your background, because I'm go, going through, and you're the author of a book about your immigrant parents called Mistranslations, Meeting the Immigrant Parents Who Raised Me, um, which was very widely critically acclaimed. You have such an interesting background, Sopan. You've, you covered Donald Trump's presidential campaign for CBS News. You're a stand-up comedian. You've basically done every job that I've ever wanted to do uh, in my life. <laughs> Will you just take me through your professional background and how you got where you are now? Yeah. I'm so uh, I have such an I've had such an unusual path to get here, and 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 you know I, when I first went to college, I went to college at Boston University. I you know I, I thought I'd be um, uh, a sports broadcaster because right? I wanted to be the next Mike Breen. And then I kind of, uh, you know, went a different different path. I started doing documentaries, and I, and I worked at the Boston Globe Documentary Unit, and then I worked at uh, a show, I was a producer for a show called uh, Rock Center with Brian Williams on NBC. And I started bouncing around, like, but the covering the Trump campaign in 2016 for CBS was kind of the thing that was the most notable at that point. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you cover politics, you know, you're you're out there quite a bit because that, especially when you were covering the Trump campaign, because that was such an unusual campaign and, you know, you were talking about it a lot. And then from there, you know, after, after that campaign, I, I was one of about five reporters that covered the campaign start to finish um, as a, as an embed. And then after that, you know, the times reached out and, and we, we um, about covering culture, I knew I did comedy. I'm also a musician, musician. And, 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 and the thing about Trump is that he's everywhere. Right. You know, he's very much a pop culture president, right? He has, he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's had dozens of IMDb credits. He hosted WrestleMania. So it makes sense for culture to have someone who's well-versed in politics to talk about Trump. And then from there, you know, the sports editor reached out about me covering basketball for the time. Because, you know, A, there's a huge crossover between culture and the NBA. Absolutely. Right? You know, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, all these guys are production companies and I also knew that I loved basketball. I loved the NBA, and I, and and so um, they they reached out about um, you know they hey we like your voice why don't you come try this for a little bit and I said why not <laughs> so I've been very fortunate in my career and I, I'm I'm you know every day I'm telling you I wake up and I go uh, this is this is you know I'm I'm very fortunate I'll, I'll just leave it at that. No, it's uh, it's cool, and it's interesting to chat with you. I'm going through your um, your archives here. Do you follow Duncan Smith by any chance? Uh, he is a yeah, buddy sure. of mine from Detroit, and as I go through, I mean, basically it's every other. You write about the NBA, and then you write a whole bunch about Star Trek. And if you're in Star Trek and the yeah. NBA, it's that's like two-thirds of Duncan's holy trinity. Um, so right, that was my right. first thought was like, wow, these guys could do a hell of a podcast together themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Duncan and I message pretty often. <laughs> uh, so, Pandem, my guess. All right, so let's let's go through and just take me through like the week that was 
in New York basketball? Because, I mean, you can't go 48 hours, open without something major happening. Uh, do you want to start with the Spike Lee incident, or would you like to start with Kenny Atkinson's yeah. surprise firing? Uh, I guess we can start. I mean, the Spike Lee incident was just was just a strange one, right? Um, you know, on, on the first day that Leon Rose, the Munich team president, starts, you know, the Knicks have this rousing win against the potential finals team, the Houston Rockets, that comes down to the final second, right? And then R.J. Barrett, your prize lottery pick, he comes out, he has arguably the best game of his career, right? So symbolically, this is in theory a start of a bright new future. But within 24 hours, what are, what is the headline? The headline is that James Dolan is feuding with the Knicks' most dedicated fan over the last 30 years. And it's just so appropriate for the Knicks in some way because you can't tell me that there wasn't a better way to handle the Spike Lee situation. You know, like, like it, because it just distracts from the good storylines that the Knicks could have had from the day before. Um, the flip side to that is, you know, the Knicks have had such a tumultuous year, right? R.J. Barrett has already played for two team presidents, two coaches. He's probably likely to play for a third coach next year. Um, who knows who's on, who's on the team next year? But there are some good storylines that have come out of this year. And I think R.J. Barrett is the kind of player – Look, has he had the kind of standout rookie year that Jim Morant and Zion Williamson had? No, he's not quite there, but he's he's met, he's met expectations. He's had a pretty solid rookie year, and I guess that that is something that Knicks will be able to take from this year. Is, is RJ Barrett a player in this league? And I, I think that the Spike Lee game where that controversy about that that showed that uh, that R.J. Barrett is, is someone that they can have going forward. Let's do a quick tangent there because you wrote a really good piece over the weekend about the pressure on R.J. and the pressure on top picks going all the way back to the early 70s um, within the Knicks organization. You talked to Michael Sweetney, which I was, uh, I was, uh, I was very pleasantly surprised to hear from him. What, the mentality of R.J., because it, you know anybody who knows his background knows Rowan Barrett and the Canadian Basketball Federation, and I mean, he's, he, mm-hmm. he's basically been raised for something like this. When you talk to him, do you get the sense that he is prepared for that level of expectation? Well, I mean, you talk to any of his teammates, you just, you just listen to him. And he right right when he was he was drafted, I think he uh, you know he told G two like you know I, I watched John Starks growing up and I want to see New York get back to that level with their championship contender every year. So far, you know, there's been no indication that RJ Barrett can't handle the pressure of being in New York. He's played well, you know, he's played he's played okay. Now the question I think Nick the Knicks front office has to ask themselves is what is RJ Barrett? What is his ceiling? Is the ceiling you know, number one guy on a championship team, good? Or is he like Michael Carter Williams? Like, what is what is R.J. Barrett, you know, in a fully formed state? And we just don't know that yet. We might not know for a couple of years. I mean, he's only, I think, what, 19 years old? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I just don't think, and the question is, can you build around R.J. Barrett? Um, and we, I, we just don't know that yet. Um, and, and that's, that shouldn't deter the Knicks, of course, from you know getting maximal free agents and whatnot. But we just don't know who RJ, what RJ Barrett is right now. I mean, I think his true shooting percentage is only right now hovering around 48 percent. That's pretty low efficiency. But there's also look, he's played in multiple offenses. Uh, it's well documented at this point that the Knicks players don't really fit that well together offensively. So it's 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 
unclear as to what RJ Barrett's potential is right now as as we sit here right now. I, I think we know you shouldn't put him on the floor with four power forwards. It's just probably. That's my sure. first guess, I, but I knew that before. Yeah. Uh, tell me about Kenny Atkinson. That I mean, I woke up on Saturday morning and I said, what in the world is going on here? Um, everybody's sort of drawing their own conclusions about why, and especially why now. What do you know? Well, look, I mean, I think everyone was shocked by it, right? Uh, to do this. 20 games before the playoffs, and the Nets are, you know, uh, I, I don't have the exact probability in front of me, but the Nets are pretty likely to make the playoffs. Uh, and, and, and for years, the Nets have talked about the word culture. That comes up all the time when it comes to them. Look at the culture that they built. It's built on accountability. It's built on effort. And it's built on being greater than the sum of its parts, right? And, and, and here and and so there were, hadn't really been any rumblings over the last couple of months that Kenny Atkinson's job wasn't any danger, and yet here we are. Um, now, look, there, I, I know there's been a lot of speculation about Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant and 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 DeAndre Jordan and the, his role in in the lineup, but it must have gotten bad enough that they said, look. We can't even give Kenny Atkinson the chance to coach Durant and Irving together, you know. And we just rather rip the bandaid off now. We know that this guy's not right for us. And Kenny Atkinson, what is interesting to me the most out of all the speculation that's coming out about this is that Sean Marks, you know, at the press conference uh, when you talk about this, you know, all the reporting that's coming out of coming out about this, it's pretty uh, apparent that. It wasn't as simple as the Nets pushing Kenny Atkinson out. Yeah. It seemed like Kenny Atkinson also, you know, was like, "Yeah, I, I, this, is, this isn't working for me either." So let's just let's just end this now. And that's really interesting to me because in nine out of these ten cases, it's usually the coach saying, "Dude, you coach getting pushed out." You know, you thought it was Tyrone Lue, right? Um, Tyrone Lue, you know, he he said on the record this year that he, you know, he was pushed out of the Cavs organization after winning a championship there. Yep. Um, it's interesting to me that Kenny Atkinson seems to have, you know, have recognized that this wasn't working for him either. And that's, that's really interesting. Now, in terms of like, look, I, I don't know how you go from last year, an unexpected playoff run where everyone has bought into the culture to in less than a year, this guy can't coach this champion. It coach this nuts into a championship. I don't know how that happens. The only variable that's different is the new players. There are only a handful of people that can speak to whether, um, whether, uh, you know, Kenny Atkinson lost the locker room and those people in the locker room, and no one has publicly said that at this point. Yeah, I guess, you know, if you, and it's speculation, of course, but if you, I think it makes sense where you say, if it was going to happen this summer, no matter what, then, you, like you said, rip the Band-Aid off now because, you know, they, you run the risk of, uh, of a deep playoff run. I mean, I don't think anybody really expects that out of Brooklyn right, right now in this season, but if you make it somehow to the conference finals and your plan was to fire Kenny Atkinson in the summer all along, well, now you can't do that and you're a victim of your own success. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... Look, everybody thinks they can just point to, to KD and Kyrie, and I, I'm sure it's not yeah. that simple. I'm sure Kenny had a role in you it know, as well. You know what, yeah, and you know what, what precedent, what I was thinking about, um, in 2000, I want to say it was 2004 maybe, uh, so this, Jim O'Brien was uh, replaces Rick Pitino uh, for the Celtics, mm-hmm. and they immediately, you know, almost make the playoffs unexpectedly. The next year, the Celtics make the Eastern Conference Finals unexpectedly. And Jim O'Brien is really solidifying himself as a coach at this point. But that 2002 Eastern Conference Finals team had peaked 
uh, with Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce. Right. The year at some point in the next year or two, I can't remember which year it was. Danny Ainge, you know, joins the Celtics front office and he starts running it. Danny Ainge recognizes correctly that that Celtics team does not has peaked. It's not gonna it's not gonna go any farther than that 2002 team. Jim and he so he wants to tear it down and rebuild. Jim O'Brien, as a coach, naturally wants to win. He wants to win ball games. He doesn't want to rebuild. And so at some point, I believe Jim O'Brien and Danny Ainge, they met, their visions weren't aligned, and, and, and they went their separate ways. Um, it seems to me that there was a vision here that might not have been aligned with Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson. Because, you know, look, Sean Marks could have, could have told the locker room, like, look, Kenny Atkinson's your coach, you know? Uh, do you guys either get on board or you can find a new team, but that's that's not what happened here. So it, it strikes me that there there is there was some some sort of friction between Atkinson and Mark as well. Mm, interesting. We're talking to Sopan Deb. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Sopan Deb. He covers the NBA and culture for the New York Times. All right, let's get into this coronavirus locker room access thing uh, over the weekend. It took off. You're in the middle of uh, of it all. And this is, look, the, all of this stuff right now, it's ideas, it's contingency plans, it's trial balloons. Nothing has been set in stone just yet. Um, the report was the NBA is reportedly considering limiting locker room access amid coronavirus. And again, uh, none of this stuff has been enforced or enacted just yet. But uh, you had a tweet and you ended up deleting it because people just jumped all over it and god i we take ourselves so seriously uh in this business sometimes but the idea was that potentially if locker room access is limited and the you know the media interaction after a game would be a little bit more formal it would be outside it would be in the hallway or whatever um and it wouldn't be just kind of the the lax hey we're just chatting in the locker room um you know that that could be one precaution that is enacted sooner than later you brought up the idea that isn't it kind of weird? It's just we've always done it, but it's just kind of weird that we're just sort of hanging out in the locker room and everybody said, well, if, if, if you clearly have never been in a locker room if you're just hanging out. And a lot of people, um, I think, took the conversation a little bit further than it needed to go. I, I thought you made a great, great point, and I've been on it from both sides. I've worked for an organization. I am an employee of the Orlando Magic right now, and I've worked for radio stations. Uh, I've been an outside um, you know, sort of uh, actor within a locker room covering uh, athletes. Where, what were you trying to say, and 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 did you, did anybody change your mind at all? Like where like where do you sit on it now, forty eight hours later? Yeah, so I was just making the point that like okay, so I covered culture, right? So I wrote a lot about theater and film and all sorts of stuff. Like <laughs> I was just making the point that um, uh, you know theater journalists, theater critics aren't mandated to be an actor's dressing room for an actor show, right? right? It's, okay. it's a very unique thing to sport, right? And um, so uh, basically, w- now, with that being said, the access, as many journalists um, pointed out, is absolutely necessary for them to do their jobs in an era where that access is being cut. And I, I definitely should not have said it in the way that I said it, and I fully acknowledge that now. Um, I, if there is a at the end of the day, the locker room access is important for reporters to do their jobs. And at the end of the day, in, a, in, a, in an era where access in several different fields are are is being limited, you know what I mean? So you see that at Playhouse, you see that, you know, you see that in in government. I, I just think I just think that that more access is always better. And unfortunately, you know, I was just I was just trying to remark on just how strange it is in sports that this became. You know, this is just how it is, and it's very unique to sports. 
I was not advocating. I did not mean to advocate for that access being taken away. No, absolutely. And and as and as a lot of journalists, you know, when you say access taken away, journalists have this like sort of gut visceral reaction to it. Um because it be, especially long time anybody who's been in this business for a while, it has been sort of uh on on the decrease over the last 20 years. I mean, god, the old timers, they used to go out and have beers with the head coach uh after each game and so we're nowhere near that. There's too much money on the line. Everybody's got their guard up. But I thought you made but, a great point. And, You're and, like and this but, record, but that doesn't and, mean it's not weird. Like it is kind of yeah, weird. I think that's, it's funny. That's, that's all. Yeah, and that's all I was trying to say is that it's a little. It's just. It's just a. It's a. It's a thing that's very unique to sports, and we've gotten used to it. You know, because we, we all watched Sports Center growing up. We've seen the locker room. You know, it's just. It's just very unique to sports. You know, and that's all I was. You know, and unfortunately, and this is this is my fault. This is not. This is not the fault of anybody else. Like, I was. I. I didn't uh, properly consider the implications of what I was saying by whom I was uh, I was quote treating someone uh, Grant Wall uh, I, I didn't properly uh, think about the implications of what I was saying and that's on me unfortunately you know look every now and then uh, people send out bad tweets and that was mine <laughs> for the for the uh, for that day no so but I, and, but but let me just say like I do think that you I think you touched on something and obviously you did because because there was so much reaction to it. I do think that we could probably do it a little bit better. Does that mean limiting access? No. But I wonder if there's, I mean, I forget, somebody commented and said, you know, as a male reporter, when I'm covering a women's team, we don't have any problem handling all of this stuff and having um, having that kind of access in the hallway, outside of the locker room. Like, there's probably some sort of a happy medium here where, where it's not formalized, we're not say, it's not only a scrum, um, you know, there's some area, I don't know if it's a lounge or a cafeteria or a hallway where you have an informal, you know, the same setup and the same access as you have in the locker room but there's not people getting dressed and showering right next to you you know what i'm saying like i feel like there's we could probably meet in the middle here <laughs> I, I you know uh one of the things i think and something that I, I i also should have considered more is that also look the the players that there's also a deadline consideration here especially for night games right that print journalists in particular have to meet and it's it look in an ideal world, yeah, would there be like stations like there are a media day where you can approach each player for like 10, 20 minutes and, you know, and, and get whatever you need from them. And they just stand there and it's a mandatory in the way that a media day and Super Bowls are. Yeah. Um, that would be, yeah, sure. But that's not the reality we live in. And so, look, again, I, 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 um, I'll let others make the determination of, of, is there a better way to do this? Um, but I certainly am not advocating for the access you know, I'm certainly not advocating for less access to players right. in an age where they're already in a declining access. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I wanted to I wanted to give you a chance to clarify, but I also wanted to just to sort of laugh at the absurdity of it. I mean, you you made a point about something being kind of strange and then the conversation just I mean, we do this with Twitter so much. It just gets furthered and furthered and furthered and I guess that's I guess that's why they call it going viral. What is the difference between covering sports and politics? Like what like how different um, a world is it? Yeah. So the main difference is that one is important and one is not. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying, it's like, you're right. Politics are not important at all. <laughs> but politics, it has real like stakes in people's lives. Yeah. You know, healthcare, um, you know, foreign policy, you know, are we going to send people off to ship soldiers out to war or not? Um, 
are you, um, you know, how are we going to handle uh, constitutional issues? Um, I mean, look, I, I would say right now it seems to me a defining, defining issue of the 2020 race right now is health care, you know, Medicare for all or not. That affects people's lives. When you're a sports reporter, you're covering a game. That is the that is the beginning and end of what you do. Now, is there should you take that seriously? Yes, of course. But I, I for me personally, I try to keep in mind that this is a game. What we're covering it is essentially a form of entertainment. It's escapism for people. So that in subject wise, just for and if you approach those with those, uh, with, with, if you approach that with that mentality, I think it, it changes things. However. The machine, the machination in which you do that is about the same. So, for example, there's a lot of, like, the same muscles that you use in both possible sports. So, for example, instead of box scores, you're looking at um, you're looking at poll numbers. Right. Right? Um, each, each, you know, the, the quality of the, uh, the, the organization is dependent on who is running the organization, just like the quality of a campaign is typically dependent on who is running the campaign. You know, um, and so different teams are easier to deal with than others. Um, and and so if you look at it in that way, now, the bad thing is that oftentimes political reporters treat uh, their beat as if they're covering sports. And it shouldn't be like that, mm. right? Because as I said, one is important and, and, and one is, you know, one is important and one is a game. And so there, there are, there, there, you're sometimes using the same muscles, um, but in terms of weighted significance, one is way more significant than the other. So, pandemic, I guess. Uh, before you go, give me your thoughts on the Magic. It's uh, you know, it's not necessarily a team that makes national headlines uh, uh, on a weekly basis, but I think Markel Fultz has sort of captured the imagination of a lot of uh, totally. fans I, I, as far as the national spotlight goes. What are your thoughts on what Markel's been able to do so far this year? So, here's what I'll say about the Magic. I, I'm surprised because I genuinely had them before the season as being a little better this year. Um, they had, look, you know, I really like Evan Fournier. I like Vooch. You know, uh, Vooch is having a little bit of a down down year this year compared to last year. And Fournier, you know, Fournier is having a clean year. I love that Martel Fultz has been able to uh, carve out a role for himself, you know, after those first couple years that he had. Um, look, is this jumper where it needs to be? No. But, you know, you can't totally 100% leave him open from out there, right? Right. Um, you know, I think he's shooting something like 25, 26% from three. Um you know, the Magic, it's interesting to me, the Magic have a stingy defense. I think they have a top 10 defense, if I'm mistaken. Yep. Whereas it's offensively is where they struggled. And that's, you know, I guess that's what happens when you don't have a bona fide perennial all star type. You know, when you don't have someone who's a definite top 20, top 25 player, you know, in, in that range. I, I, it would not surprise me to see the Magic take a win or a two in the first round. Because, again, you have a sense defense, you know, good coaching. I, I'm just surprised they weren't better. I'm, I Look, there are some very good storylines, but the team should be above 500. They have the talent to be above 500. And so, you know, we'll see. But I, it wouldn't surprise me if you had to take a couple games in the playoffs and making make the first round of series. No, it's going to be interesting. Trending up right now, uh, certainly. And getting healthy has made a huge difference. DJ Augustine missed time. Jonathan Isaac went down uh, New Year's. And so you get DJ back. Evan goes down right now. Um, but they are. I mean, they've been the best team offensively since the All-Star break as far as offensive rating goes, which is ridiculous because they spent months at the beginning of the season uh, struggling to score points. He's so pandeb, uh, NBA culture scribe for the New York Times. Make sure you check out his book as well, his memoir, Mistranslations, Meeting the Immigrant Parents Who Raised Me, available wherever books are sold. So, Pan, thanks so much, man. Maybe we can do this again sometime.
Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Big thanks to Sopan Dev for stopping by. Uh, that was a very interesting conversation. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's at Sopan Dev, S-O-P-A-N-D-E-B. Magic in the midst of a four-game road trip. They'll wrap it up tomorrow with the Memphis Grizzlies. Last week, uh, what was it, a two-and-two two week. You lose on Monday night to Portland. C.J. McCollum went nuts. Miami, uh, Evan Fournier gets hurt in the uh, early on, first couple minutes of that game. Uh, bangs his elbow and ends up playing through the pain, which is mind-blowing. He's got a sprained UCL in his right elbow, so he misses uh, Friday and Sunday's game. You lose that Miami game. It was a tight one, though, 116-113, the final there. And then you go to Minnesota, you put 132 points on the board. Uh, Then you go to Houston last night, you smack them around, 126 to 106 was the final there. So uh, a lot of positive things right now. You want to get Evan back for sure, but you're seeing some good signs. Having DJ Augustine back and um, and feeling like himself, that makes such a big difference to this team offensively. Uh, he had 18 points off the bench on Friday. at had 24 last night in that Houston game. Um, and Magic are getting great bench contributions really across the board right now. Uh, 61 bench points last night. He had 51 on Friday night from just MCW uh, DJ and Terrence Ross combined, and obviously T. Ross is sort of the heart of that bench production, but um, this Magic team, since the All-Star break, leads the league in offensive rating. It's amazing to think about, but that's the case right now, and it's because they're getting good contributions off the bench. I do think it has a lot to do with DJ Augustine. We've talked about Aaron Gordon uh, and his assist numbers jumping, and then you got to focus in on Vooch a little bit. Give the man his shine, because, yeah, it's only been four games here now in the month of March. Vooch in March, 24 points, Almost 14 rebounds a night, 13.8 boards a night, and he's still giving you four assists, shooting 52% from the field, 41% from three-point range. Vooch has been an absolute machine, and he was great last night in that Houston game. I mean, everything was working off of him, so Vooch deserves credit. And the offense right now, uh, it's in a good place. And, right, you know, you got to make sure the defense matches it, and there's going to be, um, if you're, you know, in one of these games against a Minnesota-type team, yeah, you know, 132 to 118 is kind of what they are trying to get you to do um, in that situation. But uh, things are looking up right now for this Magic team. Again, get Evan back, and hopefully you can finish off this road trip tomorrow with a win in Memphis uh, because that'll be a 3 and one trip. And I've certainly, you know, when you head out on the road and you got to play Miami and Houston and Memphis, who is a 500 team right now, um, you know, I, I think 2-2, two 3-1 two, road trip would have been fine for everybody. You go 3-1. and one, and you'll be sitting pretty because then you come back home and you got a nice little stretch of be- of winnable games here. And again, you can't take anything for granted in this league. But when you come home off this trip, you got four out of five uh, in the friendly confines of the Amway Center. You got Chicago Thursday night. Sunday is the Charlotte Hornets uh, on March 15th. It's my birthday. Uh, and then on St. Patrick's Day, you're up in Detroit. And then you're home for Cleveland and Sacramento. And that's uh, the next, what, week and a half sort of laid out for you. So. Magic can make a move here, and Brooklyn wins last night, and yeah, Jacques Vaughn's a new head coach. We talked to Sopan about it. Um, I don't know. It's We'll see if they can if that's one of those moves that sort of rights the ship, um, and they can just kind of keep it rolling, or if things start falling apart a little bit, because there's a whole lot of, um, uh, I, I guess, unrest. There's just a whole lot of... Uh, instability within that Brooklyn organization right now. So you're a half game behind them as we sit. What do we have? 18 games remaining in the regular season. So it'll be mid-April before we know it. Magic sitting in a pretty good spot right now as far as the playoffs go. You know, you're a, a half game behind Brooklyn for the seventh seed, but you're five and a half games clear 
of the Washington Wizards for that eight seed in the Eastern Conference. So you feel good about your chances to get in. Be ideal, though, obviously, if you could grab that seven seed. Big thanks to Sopan Dev for stopping by. Big thanks to you for listening. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman OM. I'll be back next Monday with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast.